0: Hello everyone, this is Sarisha and I host the Women, Career and Life podcast. Just like you, I've traversed varied paths, stumbled a little, picked myself up and learned a great deal on my journey. Many of us face similar questions, but we don't always get to have a conversation with our friends or peers. In this podcast, you will hear real stories that you can connect with on the challenges of navigating career and life. You must be wondering who I am. In my everyday life, I'm a career woman, a mom, and an avid reader. I'm also a road tripper, amateur gardener, and even a fashionista on some days. Join me and my guests as we have an open and honest discussion on career change, trade-offs, and working across boundaries. You get the idea. It's a perspective you simply may not hear anywhere else. I am really excited about today's guest, Vita Vasavada. She is a author, a cook and entrepreneur, but more importantly, she was a season six master chef top contestant. She's pivoted her career and has a huge following in her blog and Instagram platform, over a 100- hundred 7,000 followers. And she's written a cookbook, which has been featured in Bon Appetit and also in Food and Wine. And she writes articles in these magazines, including New York Times. Her journey is amazing. We were just chatting a few minutes ago, and maybe I'll splice those in. She's going to a premiere tonight, first one, for a movie. And it's really exciting and how her trajectory has changed. The reason we are also having this connection today is really to Talk about mid-career pivots because hers has been quite significant. She's the first content creator that I've got to talk to. And she's done a complete career pivot from being in the tech space to moving into content creation, engaging a lot of people and providing such great value. This was by no means an easy journey. And Hetal talks about her many steps, the things she had to learn along the way the mistakes that happen, and a lot of the heavy lifting that she has to do as a content creator to get where she is. She's also figured out how to gauge her own self-worth and the power of saying no sometimes so that she can continue to align with her values. Hey, you started in a corporate career. So maybe you can walk us through what your journey has been so far. So I went to school for biochemistry
1: and did my master's in biomed with the intention that I was going to work in a lab, and I did. I worked as an analytical chemist for a couple years in a laboratory, and I hated it <laughs> tremendously. And I ended up deciding, okay, maybe I'll go the admin route in healthcare. So I worked at Columbia University Medical Center as a reporting analyst for some time, and realized that I hated it. One because in the lab, like throughout college. It wasn't very, it's not a strict nine to five because you run an experiment. And then while the experiment is running, you have time to do your notes, write down your stuff. You have a little bit of free time. And I realized desk jobs, they just expect you to be at the desk from nine to five, regardless if you have enough work to fill that time. So for the first three months of my job, as soon as I was done with my work, I would leave. Okay. (laughs) And then one of my coworkers was like, oh, why? I noticed that you leave early every day. Why? And I'm like, oh, I just finished my work. And then I go home. What am I supposed to do sitting here for two hours?
0: Very true. Corporate perceptions are different expectations. I know being extremely efficient and productive is not the same as having FaceTime.
1: Yeah. So I think like I realized like really quickly in corporate world, they value FaceTime over productivity and efficiency. And I like in the lab, it's very much about efficiency. Get your stuff done, get your experiments running, get like what you need to do. And it really wasn't like, you have to wait not like you can run your next experiment you have to wait for this one to be done to move on to the next i it just wasn't clicking so my husband my boyfriend at the time he was working in consulting which i had never heard of consulting before i had a pretty like narrow idea of what a professional career could be it was very much like doctor lawyer engineer because that's all i ever knew i had never met any consultants growing up and so you get to travel and you work on different projects and it's fun So I got a consulting job and moved out to San Francisco and it was fun for a while, but I started running into a lot of microaggressions and like kind of, and all be all racist behavior. Things like, oh, your tights don't match your skin tone. Oh, very strict. Yeah. Your hair looks messy today. I got engaged and married during that period at that company. And they were like, oh, why can't your wedding be just one day? And even though I accrued the time, they wouldn't give me time off for my wedding. And then I thought it was like, oh, they just, because I was like one of maybe three people of color in a company of 500. I was like, maybe they just don't know any better. So I like brought a sheet explaining like, this is what BT is. This is what the Sangeet is for, whatever. And she starts like crossing things out and asking me if I can move things into the same. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Yeah, I haven't anything like that. At the time I was young. So I didn't re- recognize it as something that's like, one, I could have sued them for discrimination, but two, as so wrong, and all my coworkers are also super young they're like twenty like fresh out of college. I was the only person in the company that wasn't fresh out of college and that had a couple of years of work experience behind me, and none of them saw that as like problematic, and it made me angry and a lot of it, what I am doing is like cooking and baking a lot to bring myself some sort of joy. It was like the only moment that i like, had control and felt good. And my husband noticed that I like just hated my job. And the fact that I was like being labeled as problematic because I was asking for something that one, I had earned, but two, like they couldn't culturally fathom. Like it just blew my mind that people could be like this, especially at a big company. He was like, just quit. So I quit and I spent some time traveling with him because he was still traveling quite a bit. And then he was like, why don't you try out for MasterChef? Like you clearly like food you're good at it. I had been blogging for a long time. I had, I was running a blog all throughout all these jobs, but the blog was mostly for me, not really for anyone else. And he's, he pushed me to try out for master chef and mostly because I didn't have the confidence to start my own food business, but two, because I didn't know like where I stood. Am I actually good? Or are my friends just blowing smoke up my butt? Like, where am I? And this was a good way for me to figure out where I was. Um, where I fell in the skill level. And when I came off MasterChef, I had a whole new like confidence. And I knew very early on, I did not want to own a restaurant. There's many ways to be in the food industry. I did not want to be in a restaurant. It is not conducive to family life. It is hard work. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I really wanted to go into recipe writing, recipe development. So I started doing that for a lot of meal kit startups, because being in the Bay Area, it's the center of all these startups. And I was very lucky that, like, when I came off MasterChef, all these st- meal kit companies were coming out and I started writing for them. Word of Moth came out and I started writing for like, more than just milk, like, food startups, too. And I also grew my skill set for social media because I knew when I came off MasterChef, if I want to be in food, I need to keep my momentum going from MasterChef. So I really focused a lot on my social media, making sure I was like live tweeting and posting on Instagram and really just sharing as much as I possibly could. And that turned into a skill set. Then I started doing social media and digital marketing for restaurants and food startups and businesses. And at my height, I had like about 15 social media channels I was running. And then the pandemic hit. I lost all my clients and I focused on myself on my bakery because once I left that corporate job and once I got off MasterChef, I actually found out literally the day the episode that I got kicked off aired, I found out I was pregnant and I had a really bad pregnancy. I was sick for pretty much all nine months, vomiting pretty much like 10, 12 times a day. My life shut down (laughs) and then I wrote my cook, went back to work. So I worked at a food startup as a social media manager, then started my freelancing I hated working cor- like it felt corporate to me even though it was a startup and I wrote my cookbook as soon as I left that startup and started freelancing I didn't think the cookbook was going to give me as big of a platform as it did like I didn't expect it to go on New York Times or anything like that because it's such a niche subject like Indian sweets <laughs> and it really gave me a lot of opportunities after it came out being able to start my business starting my bakery because a lot of the big goods I sell are from my cookbook. And now I run my Instagram account. I do business consulting for food startups and other entrepreneurs. I write for recipes for food and wine. I actually have one in this month's issue for food and wine for Bon Appetit, King Arthur, all sorts of stuff. But I feel like it all started with like reality TV, which is like the weirdest way to ever pivot a career.
0: (laughs) But I think I would like to spend some time, maybe we'll redo it another time when you're talking about the microaggression and your career and corporate life. That's a whole another piece to just discuss. And I'm from the South Asian (laughs) community as well. I came here for graduate school. So I think being an immigrant, women of color, there are certain things that are different, no matter how you think you blend and meld and everything. There are certain things that you may not realize, you don't know which lens you're looking through. So it's a challenge because you're culturally taught to talk and come across a certain way and then to learn to figure out how to use your voice and say like you said you didn't know you had some rights probably depending on which plate for which culture you grew up you might be different and you said you knew only lawyer this and it's a very much a part of the diaspora on what are the expectations so that's a whole another discussion so maybe we'll do that later but for today's thing I want to touch as you said you used MasterChef as a launch platform yeah some of it makes it sound easy but by no means does it sound easy it sounds like a lot of work and there are we all get avenues we all may have opportunities like that but to convert it to what you did is amazing you knew that you needed the social media skills you not only practiced it on your platform but went and exercised it very heavily in other avenues you took that same thing you tried the again the corporate thing you knew you like I think over time, you figure out what it is that you're good at, that you like to do, and that you definitely don't want to do. And from everything I know, and I have know people in the restaurant business, a chef's job never ends. It's hard yeah. work, heavy lifting, a lot of strain. And based, even if you look financially, it depends how the profit margins turn out. So it's a lot of work for something that is challenging. And with COVID and everything is just highlighted a spotlight on how much more harder it is. I heard a radio talk show yesterday with inflation, how it's impacting them even more because... They are a little careful about increasing the prices because if they increase the prices, people may rather eat at home, but they're paying the cost for it. They're in a double bind at this point, and it's very hard. But I wanted to spend some time, when you made the switch, obviously your husband, boyfriend in that time was a huge support for moving you forward. But there's one part of it before we talk about mid-career pivot. When you move from corporate to being freelance, What were some of the doubts you had and what were some of, how did you navigate? Did you have familial and societal expectations? Because that's part of the thing, right? No matter it's a career transition, there is so much, just snipping the cord and deciding to take a leap of faith is very hard, especially when there is no net to catch and it's not already laid out. Even for a corporate change within a corporate space is hard. So this is even more challenging. So maybe you can speak to that.
1: Yeah, it's scary because when you go freelance, you don't have a consistent income. One month you might make $2,000, another month you might make $10,000, another month you make nothing. Like it is really inconsistent, which can be very anxiety inducing and scary. The other thing is you're constantly trying to sell and get new clients and book and show like why you're the expert and why they should go with you compared to another freelancer. So like you're selling yourself, which means again, you have to have a lot of self-confidence. You have to have a little bit of ego. You have to be able to woo talk. You're your own salesperson, you're your own marketing person, you're your own accountant. Like you're doing so many different roles and you have to be good at it, everything. Because if you are really bad at one of those roles, your whole business can fall apart. Yeah. You're your income, like you're chasing people that haven't paid you. You're doing your own bookkeeping. You're also trying to like oh, let me worry about my SEO. Let me worry about writing. Let me create content for my social media so I can get more clients. Like it's a lot of work because you're wearing so many hats. When it came to like family stuff, they weren't as nervous. I think one being Gujarati. Gujarati is a pretty like, we're pretty entrepreneurial folks. (laughs) Like having our own business is like, that seemed, oh yeah, that makes sense. So it was never really a big stressor for my family to see me freelance and go off on my own. I was more stressed and anxious, but the only way I, I waited. So when I was working for the food startup, doing account management and social media stuff, I actually took on some clients and I asked them like, is it okay if I have some clients part-time? And they said, yes. So I took on some clients for social media. I had like two at the time and I kept them. And once I was able to build my confidence in them and then they referred me to other restaurants And I got enough that I could quit the main job, the startup job. That's when I went full feet into freelancing. So I did it in the most cautious way possible. Really, some people might just quit their corporate job and then start trying to find clients. I had already gotten two clients and was like working towards gaining more before I went that full paycheck.
0: So you've already established your personal brand in a way and... There are people advocating for you because they know what you're capable of and what you bring to the table, which is amazing. Because when you look at your website, and for those who follow your Instagram profile, and if they haven't, they should go and check out Milk and Cardamom. It's to me, it's just beautiful. I'm a passable cook at best, and not at sweets, but just the picturesqueness of it. So there's one is of course the food, but you must be a photographer and artist and everything because how you present it, how it comes across your Gulab Javan Ban Cake, which is, I guess, a clear feature, right? A unique feature that you've done. So how did you transform and how did you actually acquire those social media skills? Obviously, you're talking about that being the skill set that has helped you pivot, not just your food business, but how did you go and develop those skills? So for someone who wants to get into it, it is a lot of hard work. How often do you post? How do you plan your content and how do you generate some revenue from all of these business ventures that you're looking at?
1: So... Initially, I started doing social media like I normally would do. So like I would post whenever I wanted. If you look at my early photos, they're terrible. I still to this day don't have consistency in posting. I post whenever I want. I've learned that trying to be consistent has led to me being burnt out because then I'm consistently trying to, I need to come up with three recipes this week. I need to come up with becoming, it was burning me out to be that creative. It was stifling my creativity as weirdly as it sounds. Because I felt like I need to put out content. It was quantity versus quality at that point. But I did do a like Udacity digital marketing course. And that really taught me just like how to do Facebook ads and Instagram ads and Google ads and things like that. But when it came to social media, if the scientists in me came out, I would do like experiments. I'm going to use these specific hashtags. I'm going to tag these specific people, see how this works and do like A-B tests and try to figure out like what works and what doesn't work and then I would apply it to my Instagram and if it worked I would then apply it to my clients. I noticed at a certain point that brands that had a voice had much more followers and more engagement and when I say a voice I have a persona right like you think of Wendy's on Twitter it's a sassy maybe mid-teenage girl type of vibe that you get right like they have a very unique voice and you know exactly who they are, and I would create these voices for these brands. So one brand that I worked with was Humphrey Slocum, and they had a really sassy vibe. I put like a face to it. And it's a punk rock drag queen that does not care. We curse. This is our voice, and this is how we're going to move forward with it. And it worked. Like we grew our following. People wanted to know not just what kind of ice cream my client was putting out there, but also what's their opinion on what's happening in the world. And you're seeing it now. Like it's now. 10x that. Now you go on TikTok and you have the Duolingo owl is like one of the most famous. And the Duolingo owl isn't just sharing like how to learn a new language but like fun memes and trends. Like I like to watch and find these patterns and figure out how to make it work for my clients. The other thing with social media is actually building community. So like identifying your the people that are always commenting, the people that are always working with you that are always buying and really creating that community where you can chat and they feel like open to, like to hit you up in your DMs and chat with you and creating that kind of space. And I think it's just because I'm a very extroverted person. The pandemic changed me a little bit. I think I've gotten a little bit more introverted, <laughs> but for the most part, I'm pretty open and I love talking to new people. And I think taking that enthusiasm and applying it to social media worked for me very well.
0: So you've combined your research hat with your personality and brought that persona to not just yourself, but the clients that you work with as well. Don't forget to subscribe to my Substack newsletter. The links are in the show notes. If you're looking to partner with me for keynote speaking on women leadership, financial independence or graduate school and beyond, check out my website and reach out to me. Stay tuned in and listen to the rest of the podcast. Thanks for listening.
1: Exactly. And what type of content works best? Do people like the food porn shots, like the egg oozing out and like the string cheese and all that stuff? Or are they like, do they want to know who are the people behind the restaurant? You, you try to understand what the community wants and then cater to that. And the only way to do that is to identify patterns, engagement patterns and things like that.
0: And there's a lot of trial and error because you obviously don't want to be a copycat of someone else's that's already trending though you may take parts of it and yeah what you are in that space still holding there's a lot of talk about purpose and values and culture right for any organization or anybody who could be an influencer who is running a corporation as well and how do they align and decide what those are
1: it's easy especially like on instagram like i have multiple income sources right? and one of them being instagram sponsorships where i get sponsored to Usually it's like food brands that they'll pay me to create recipes and content for them that I post on my Instagram. But I learned that over time, I learned the power of no and saying no. Initially, when I get started, I think this happens to a lot of Instagram food bloggers or anyone that enters Instagram and gets some sort of following. You start saying yes to everyone. And also you'll say yes to anything because you're just so grateful that a brand wants to work with you. So you'll do work in exchange for your product or you'll do work for really low rates and you don't value your time or your effort for all the years that it took you to gain those photography skills and content making skills and social media skills and gain all the years it took you to gain that community that they're paying you to create content for and you undervalue yourself, which I've learned. In the last two years, I went from saying yes to everyone to now saying no a lot more. If their values don't align with mine, if their pay doesn't align with what I feel like I should be paid, I am very happy and content with saying no. I'd much rather take five gigs for $10,000 each than 25 gigs for $200 each.
0: You know what I mean? You touched on so many things outside your food blogging that I thought were so relevant. You talked about burnout before when you were just Mm -hmm. talking about being constantly posting on social media as one thing. You talk about that same sort of burnout, but I think with brands, it's a bit of three things, right? The power of saying no, which actually I was going to ask you about. So I'm glad you already touched on it because that is very hard to do, especially when you're in the kind of field you are in where you're freelancing, right? Yeah. Defining what your worth is and what you're willing to give because people are probably looking at your Instagram profile and saying, oh my gosh, she has so many followers. But it was a lot of hard work, a lot of trial and error, a lot of sweat, probably some tears as well and trying to figure it all out. And then uh, just the self-care part of it and trying to understand what is your risk and reward for yourself and aligning with your values because... When you're freelancing, I'm sure you're trying to generate business, but at some point, all of these come to a head and you have to decide, you have your family and your daughter and others are very involved. So between all of those, you're trying to see what is it that I want to pass down and defining your brand and sticking to your brand, which pieces all these pieces together, your value, your work, what you're willing to do, how often you want to post and staying true to it. And even for yourself now, today you're going to the premiere of, so Giving those opportunities, how do you continue to align with that piece?
1: Like me and my husband have a role. We have a, we will not work for assholes role. <laughs> Meaning if there's a company that reaches out that I find that has questionable ethics, but they typically are the ones that are also willing to pay a lot of money. We always say no. Even when my husband was looking for a new job, he had an interview with Uber and I'm like, are you sure you want to work for Uber? <laughs> They've done some questionable things. And he's, no, you're right. See, I wouldn't feel right. but Even for me, like you'll never see me selling laxative teas or some sort of weight loss thing or it's just not me. My stuff is you make desserts, you make it for others, you enjoy it. Like I am not about restrictions or I'll never be like, oh, I ate a piece of cake today. So I need to go work out for an hour tonight. You know what I mean? I'm all about like healthy portions, enjoy it and then move on. It's okay.
0: Don't beat yourself up over it. Enjoyed exactly. it, okay. It's let's go back to using your wedding as a reference. It's a five day event to just enjoy. That is not the time you're going to go and say do this or this or no? Exactly. You're going to sp- spend the time, family, resources, money, everything just to bring everyone together and have a celebration. So
1: Exactly. There are different like things. I will work with brands that align with my values. I'm happy to and totally fine saying no to some brands that wouldn't fit me. I won't work with like fast fashion brands for the most part. I've had fast fashion brands reach out to me, but I always say no, because I'm not a fast fashion consumer in general. Like I wear things till they die. And then I like also shop a lot at thrift stores, a habit that my husband was completely like grossed out by initially when we started dating. Cause like one of our first dates, I'm like, Oh, let's go to the thrift store and now he's all for it. So I'm glad I like converted him a little bit, but yeah, I think, Sticking to your values, you will never, ever feel bad about yourself or guilty or feel like you sacrifice a piece of yourself for your success.
0: When you're talking about fast fashion and repurposing, when I went to India recently, I took my mom's saris and converted them into dresses, to skirts, to salwars, <laughs> like a whole set of things Till I told her, okay, I have three of them. I'm not going to use up your full closet. Let's keep them for my sister or for later. Otherwise, all of them are going to look similar. But I got a whole slew of clothes just by reusing. Her I love saris. that. And they've turned well, out really amazing. I found this amazing tailor who I don't have the designer sense. So I told her, you decide what you want to make and just I'll tell you what length or whether it works. And she did such a fantastic job with it.
1: That's so cool. My mom was a seamstress and she takes all my old clothes and she makes clothes for Ilara, for my daughter. So, like, she made a bunch of lengas and sell Arkhamises for her using all my old Gerba outfits from like 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my- yeah, even if I tried to put this blouse on, it wouldn't fit anymore. Like, I can't save it. So she she cuts them all down from and makes them for you, Laura.
0: And it'd be nice for your daughter to see you wearing that old outfit and saying, oh, here is the new one. I saved a few of my kids' clothes. I don't know how to quilt, but I'm thinking at some point, maybe make them a quilt out of their favorite t-shirts, which are top, <laughs> but who knows?
1: Yeah, and then the thing is like, little kids grew out of their clothes so fast. So now all my friends and cousins have clothes that my mom made for Ilara and they gave you know I gave to them because it's hard to find like cute lingas and stuff for five years and under because and even in India they don't make really that many Indian clothes they just have a cupcake dresses in that size a little dress with like lots of tulle it's not like a Jolie or Solar or anything so I give them to my friends and they have them and they'll pass it down to their friends until they are like are ratty and gross and need to go actually are ready to go.
0: (laughs) Very
1: cool. I'm in Los Angeles for work stuff. Going to the premiere tonight for Never Have I Ever on Netflix. I cooked for the cast a couple months ago and they invited me.
0: <laughs> Very cool. So this journey of yours has transformed into something I'm sure. Did you expect <laughs> any of this?
1: Not at all. <laughs> I am like, I would have never expected any of this. If you asked 21 year olds have all this, I'd be like, what? You're going to red carpet events. You're cooking for celebrities. What is your life? (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited. Nervous, but excited. I'm going with a friend that I know on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Never the life. So this is really just like one big networking event for me.
0: And it's the first time you're going to something like this. Must have been a lot of fun because there's the shopping. You have to shop for the right clothes and everything. Oh yeah.
1: I have my friend that's a makeup artist that's coming to do my makeup. And yeah, it's going to be fun.
0: Very nice. I'm going to look at your Instagram tonight to see how you showed up and have a blast at tonight's premiere. That's fantastic to see what you have done and achieved for yourself. So amazing and good luck. Thanks. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And I would love to hear your responses and what tips you took away if you're in the freelance space or you're thinking of pivots on what you can give back. So you can always reach me by emailing me at womencareerandlife at gmail.com. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Tune in every other Wednesday to catch the next episode. If you think a friend may benefit from this, please share this podcast with them. Please like, subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. I would love to hear from you about your stories and your journey. You can reach me on Instagram or Gmail at womencareerandlife. Until next time, this is Sirisha signing off. Remember, there are infinite possibilities to drive change in career and life. Which will you choose to make a reality today?